Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. LinkedIn presents... For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Tony Marlowe. He's the Chief Marketing Officer for LG Ad Solutions. And LG Ad Solutions is a CTV advertising offering. There, he uses data-driven insights to lead all aspects of marketing and communications. Previously, Tony's been CMO at Integral Ad Science, where he helped transform the brand and helped take the company public through IPO in 2021. Before IAS, he was the CMO at Data Axel, as well as the global head and vice president of B2B marketing at Yahoo. And before that, worked at Nielsen Online. On the show today, we talk about the big shift in TV, connected TV, what we should know about connected TV and its many advantages for marketers and how to think about it from the consumer perspective, from the advertiser perspective, and many other ways. We also talk about the opportunities for performance optimization, both of brand and how we think about using TV and digital TV for brand, but also performance marketing and how those two things aren't separate anymore in this new environment. 
We also talk about a lot more, including AI, of course, which we've been talking on a number of conversations recently. But I love some of the examples towards the end of the conversation that he gives that demonstrate the power of AI in new ways that I hadn't been thinking about before. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tony Marlowe. Tony, welcome to the show. Thanks for for having me on. Really, uh, it's a pleasure to chat. Yeah, no, it should be a fun conversation. I thought we'd start off with this thing I heard, which is that you like to swim, bike, and run a lot. So <laughs> what is, what, what's, what's behind that? My overused joke is I, I thought they said rum, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I am a triathlete. I've probably done north of 30, may, maybe approaching 40 races. I've kind of lost count at this juncture. But it is something that, that I enjoy doing. And it actually, it started off as uh, I, I was working at Yahoo at the time as a way to raise money for charity. We had a corporate team. We were raising money for the, the team in training for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's something that's kind of now become a lifelong pursuit. I've done every distance from Ironman through to sprints. But yeah, I, I've spent more than my fair share, as you say, swimming, biking and running. It just sounds like you're a glutton for punishment. I mean, like, from my perspective, yeah. I don't really like to run. Don't really love to swim either. I'm not one of those people. I can probably do the bike, but that that doesn't fill the bill there. <laughs> so, we'll start you on the bike, and we'll we'll expand into the other territories. We can make okay. it. Happen. All right, all right, all right. I love it. I love it. Well, from uh, from Yahoo, one of the places that you've worked in the past, like what has been your path? And now you're the CMO at LG Ad Solutions. And we'll, we'll get to talking about LG Ad Solutions. But what's been your path to become CMO there? Uh, that's a big question. I guess if, if I rewind all the way back, in case, in case you didn't guess, I'm not originally from the US. <laughs> I am originally from Australia. And my first role out of university, I was working for a pretty small boutique strategic consultancy. It was founded by a former McKinsey person. And I always found myself drawn to these tech projects. And in, in particular, I remember working with one of the, the big telcos in Australia, and this is completely going to date me, but <laughs> with some projects that essentially would help them articulate to consumers why they might care about having the internet on their phone. Right. And, and it's almost hard to believe that there was a moment in time where we had to do that, given we're glued to these devices 24-7 now. Uh, but I, I was doing that for a few years, and that's really where I knew I had that digital bug, for lack of a better description. I knew the industry that I wanted to work in. So I was there for a few years. After that, I, I joined a company called Net Ratings. It was acquired by Nielsen, became Nielsen Net Ratings, ultimately became Nielsen Online, uh, Nielsen's online division. I believe that it now sits within their, their broader media division. But what was really cool against that moment in time was my role there was really helping to educate marketers as to why they should care about digital and how they can leverage the medium to make better connections with consumers. And so um, in one way, shape or form, I was spending a lot of my time doing that, whether that was through thought leadership and taking the stage, or even we actually, as a team, and I worked with one of the best teams in the business there, we invented a new way to measure the impact of online advertising. By, by, those, you know, by the standards in those days, it was, we considered it pretty sophisticated. By today's standards, it's pretty standard. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, we, we had invented this new way to measure it. 
and do so in a way that could potentially have been rolled out consistently around the world. And the way Nielsen was doing it at the time, it was different from region to region. So your ad effectiveness in APAC was different to EMEA, was different to the Americans. And so I found myself traveling to New York, Nielsen's headquarters, quite a lot, pushing and pushing this product and pushing the, the potential it could have for the company. And in a roundabout way, that's how I ended up at Yahoo, because I, I was on one of these trips and I had uh, a mutual acquaintance introduced me to this guy from Yahoo. His name's Edward Wong, one of the smartest guys that, that I've met. He and I had a coffee and I think it was maybe four or five weeks later, I was no longer living in Sydney. I was living in New York and working for Yahoo and doing <laughs> the thought leadership thing for Yahoo. And it's funny because when you're talking about your career, I've noticed people always at this juncture want, they almost crave me to say it was all part of this master plan, but it was actually pretty serendipitous. Like, I believe we put in the hard work, but I, I never really had a plan to leave Australia, go to the US, and things just kind of unfolded that way by chance. But I spent eight, eight plus years at Yahoo through some pretty interesting times, actually. But when I joined the company, it was doing the thought leadership thing, again, helping marketers understand how they could le leverage digital, how they could leverage Yahoo to make better connections with their audiences. And then when I, by the time I left Yahoo, I was running the, um, the B2B marketing division. So ostensibly, I was the B2B CMO. So I wouldn't do the consumer marketing stuff. It would be all of the marketing activities, mm. really essentially uh, advocating for Yahoo as an advertising platform. From there, I, I did a brief stint at a company called Data Axel in the, in the big data business as CMO. Then I joined IAS, Integral Ad Science, in the media quality space as their CMO. I was a part of the executive team that took the company public in the summer of 2021. And then after the mission was complete there, I late last year, I joined the LG Ad Solutions team uh, to be in the CTV space and just so excited about what's going on right now in CTV and excited to maybe talk a little bit about that today. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. And so let's talk about LG Ad Solutions. Like, how do you describe what you guys do and who are you, who are you serving today, I guess? Yeah, and, and for anyone listening that's not familiar... Basically, we are a connected TV, a CTV advertising company. So we have the media footprint of, of over 150 million smart TVs worldwide. And we're able to deliver ads, so both video, but also things like native and other enhanced ad units onto these LG televisions. So we really offer advertising on the biggest screen in the home. And actually, we have some offerings that help our clients go beyond the biggest screen into other devices within the LG TV household. So the basic, basic crux of it is that we are a CTV advertising company. And then for anyone who's listening who does have an LG TV, they might notice on your LG TV, it ships with this, there is this thing called LG channels. Mm -hmm. This is essentially a free cable-like experience that's just baked into your TV. So essentially, your grandma can buy an LG TV, take it home, and as soon as it's connected to the internet, she can be watching free content and she does so because it's ad supported and we do the ad supported side of, of that business. Cool. I mean, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And 150 million endpoints, so to speak, uh, smart TVs, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah, it is a massive footprint. And then even because we're, we're not the only OEM in the game, what's right. really interesting about the space that we're in is it's not really a winner takes all market. 
So if you think about your average living room, you're not you're unlikely for your average person, I'm sure it happens, but unlikely to have more than one TV on the wall, right? So right, if you can right. reach everyone, you, you want to work with us. You might want to work with some of the other top three, four, five players. And if you're talking to those brands, in, uh, to those OEMs, excuse me, as a brand with the goal of reaching your, your ultimate audience, you can basically reach everyone in a very addressable way by working with just a handful of players. So that's one of the things I really like about what we call at LG Ads going direct to glass. You have the visibility and the targetability, the addressability that we always knew from digital. It happens in a really privacy-friendly way, but you're now doing so with the sight, sound, and motion of the biggest screen in the home. And that's one of the cool things about ad-supported CTV. Yeah, no, that's pretty That's pretty cool. Well, let's talk about, I mean, there's been so much happening in terms of like how people are consuming media today and TV, if, if that's still a, a thing. Like it's a hard thing to describe now because I'm watching it on my TV, but it might be coming from who knows where, right? <laughs> so like, how should we, what should we know, I guess, about this like big shift that's happening with the TV and the content that's coming through it? Firstly, I love that you said big shift. So <laughs> this week, we just released the second wave of our thought leadership piece of research called the big shift. So this is the big shift <laughs> wave two. Really, it, it investigates consumer viewing behavior and how it has shifted. And when we talk about this notion of the big shift, there really have been, I mean, in fact, there were two phases to the big shift. And so the first phase really coincided with the onset of the pandemic. So in early 2020, most people in most countries were following stay-at-home guidance. We were all staying at home more. We were consuming more media, watching more TV and starting to notably increase our adoption of streaming TV. Now, this first phase of the big shift, the shift to streaming television, was really underpinned by subscription services. So think about the original Netflix, where you pay your fee, you get your content, there's no apps. And so phase one of the big shift was simply eyeballs drifting from traditional linear television into streaming television. And it happened there was maybe a, a three-month period where we saw three-plus years of behavioral shift. The pandemic really changed the way people were consuming their television. Mm. But right now, we're actually undergoing the second phase of this big shift. So the first phase was people were starting to consume it in this way. The second phase is people are starting to drift away from some of these subscriptions and mm. starting to lean into ad-supported models of TV. So it's either free and there are ads much like you'll observe with lg channels or it could be ad subsidized so in fact even earlier today warner brothers discovery announced that they intend to launch max later this month combined streaming entity of, of i guess the conglomerate's assets between hbo and discovery and so what we're really seeing is consumers wanting free or less expensive content they still want the content but they don't want to pay as much. And there's a few things that really feed into that. One is just pure economic concerns, the potential economic headwinds that people might face at the household level. If they're concerned about those things, they're, they're rapidly decreasing their desire to want to pay more for the increasingly large amount of subscriptions they currently have. Right. If, if my household is anything to go by, I think we have in excess of seven, eight, maybe nine different subscriptions. <laughs> 
Yeah. This, uh, when you add them all up, it can actually be more than, than cable. And then cable brings us to the other thing where people are just simply not preferring to view linear or to view TV in that way anymore. People are expecting on demand and they want it to be free or, or less expensive than it has traditionally been. So we're seeing a lot of those things in play, but some of the highlights out of, out of the latest big shift study include in the US, 93% are reachable by connected television. So we're, we're pretty close to saturation there. We found that 46% told us that they have actually canceled a paid streaming service specifically because of those economic concerns that I mentioned. 46%, so almost half. 63% not only use ad-supported streaming content, but they actually prefer it. So for 63%, ad-supported streaming TV is now their preference. And I feel like it's appropriate to pause for a little at this moment because <laughs> if you rewound to the onset of the pandemic or, or right. beyond, that would almost be a hard no. It would be like, no, thank you. I'm good paying my $10, $15 a month and having no ads. Right. People are now overtly saying, well, actually, I've changed my mind. I still want the content. I just don't want to pay for it. And that is where the zeitgeist is right now. And we're seeing other things actually that relate to that. Some of the consumers in the study, 59% actually, said that they cancel a subscription after watching the desired content. So this is a phenomenon known as subscription cycling. So think about it like this. You subscribe to service XYZ, you binge what you want to watch, and then you're not tied into a 12-month contract, you cancel it. So they're, they're doing this and then moving on to the next binge. And so yeah. rather than subscribe to the nine plus different apps that you could possibly subscribe to, they're doing one or two at a time and cycling in this way. And again, it really comes down to some of these economic concerns. But amidst all of this, I think the thing that really captures my imagination more than anything else, and this is maybe actually one of the most obvious findings, but it still is one of the ones I find as a marketer really compelling. 96%, so almost everyone said they multitask. And in fact, it was, I, th- I believe it was around a third said they, quote, always multitask. So that is to say, <laughs> When you're watching TV, almost everyone is also on their mobile or other device. And so as a marketer, that starts to raise questions about how you can effectively connect with people on all of the screens that they're paying attention to in any given content consumption moment. And I think that's a really cool finding out of the study. No, uh, all of those stats are amazing and mind-boggling, but at the same time, I can relate to all of them. <laughs> and I unfortunately, I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but I have definitely cycled subscriptions to watch binge watch a show. But but it works. It works, right? What is it they say? You've only got one set of eyeballs. You can only watch one <laughs> at a time, right? So that's right. That's that's very true. That's very true. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Well, so if you think about these ad-supported platforms, whether it's completely ad-supported or it's subsidized in the way you're talking about, like, I mean, it seems like a great thing, honestly, for advertisers and marketers, like, the show listeners, because now where we thought we were headed potentially, which is subscriptions and non advertising platforms, taking away one of the biggest real estates in the home to put our message in front of people now yeah. opens back up, right? Like, is that what you're, I mean, that, that is the opportunity I'm guessing for marketing. Oh, absolutely. So earlier I mentioned LG channels, our fast service, free ad supported streaming television with yeah. 300 plus channels. But I think the opportunity is around providing a, an overarching better TV experience. We can do TV better than it has been before. Certainly mm-hmm. ad-supported TV better than it has been before. So there are, and I started to talk about this a little before, but there are traditional video ads, we just call them CTV video, mm-hmm. that, you can, that you can put out there, try and engage with your audience that way. But one of the other findings of the study that I did not mention a moment ago, and I find this kind of funny, people told us on average it takes them almost six minutes, 5.7 minutes, that's five minutes, 42 seconds, between turning on the TV and then ultimately beginning to watch something. So people are spending almost six minutes trying to find, it's this discovery mode, what are they going to watch, trying to decide. And this is really interesting because we work a lot with clients who are in the media and entertainment space, whether it be streaming apps who want to advertise their service, or whether it's the latest movie that's available for stream, So this kind of opens up a native advertising experience that didn't really exist in the traditional form of TV. And it can really perform a service to help people match with the content that they want. So think of it that that there can be organic discovery, but there can also be this sponsored version of of content discovery. So these types of ads we're finding that, that people are responding really positively to because it relates to what they're trying to achieve and it can help shorten that time between turning the the TV on and ultimately watching what you're going to watch. And then I think the other thing that goes to your question relates to this this high proportion of basically everyone who multitasks. We have a service called Household Extend. So, and again, I started to talk about this, but as a marketer, it is now more important than it has ever been to be really cognizant of how you are connecting with your audience on the different screens or the different media that they're engaging with. And so how can you bring this unified experience from the biggest screen in the home to the one that they're holding in their hand? How can you reach them, whether it's to control for frequency or whether it's to extend your frequency or conquest from other other competitors? The mobile and the multi-screen approach is one really effective way to try and cut through. Because no matter whether they're looking up or down into the palm, you can have a message that's resonating with that moment in time. And I think that's one of the the really big untapped opportunities is creating consistency in your messaging across those channels. All right. And I mean, what I'm envisioning there and, and stop me if I'm getting this wrong or if I'm just off off base here, but assuming that you, you know, you're working with a provider like yourself or or somebody or stitching together multiple ones to kind of increase your addressable market. Um, there's there's a natural, I guess, connection point that you know where that TV is and likely then through that know other devices that are nearby somehow, right? 
Yeah. Is that the best way to describe it? Yeah. So using IP address and other signals, you're able to sort of create a device graph within an LG TV household. And the really wonderful thing about it is it's all privacy compliant, the highest standards, actually beyond the highest standards. And, And think about it. You don't really need to know a lot about anyone as long as you understand the viewing habits of a TV. Right. right. So I can know is uh, is this household sports enthusiasts? Are they movie buffs? Are they into the mm-hmm. news? That can tell you a lot about the opportunities to connect with the consumer. And you don't really need to know anything personal about them in order to do so. Now, right. like, do we have data clean rooms and do we have partners that can help with targeting? Of course. But like the, the most important thing is you are able to really effectively target in a highly addressable way without in a very privacy friendly way. And that is, I think, the, the holy grail of what every marketer wants right now. And it's mm-hmm. certainly what, what consumers want. They want to keep that privacy, but also have the relevance uh, and not not receive ads that are just completely irrelevant to their interests. Right. I, I mean, what I'm envisioning and like the probably the worst analogy ever is, you know, how Times Square takeovers are we're all the rage at one point in time. They might still be the rage. I don't know. Because mm-hmm. there's so many screens, right? When you walk into Times Square, I'm thinking of the same thing here, which is like maybe not a complete takeover, but the messaging or ads that are being delivered through the TV, um, there could be similar or like messaging being delivered through my mobile device. So depending on where I'm looking, I'm hearing likely a message and I might be seeing a message as well, regardless of whether I'm looking at the TV. Yeah, and then, and there could even be customizations, right? right. So yeah. within within CTV environments, we actually have uh, advanced ad units that are available. So whether we're talking about data informed ads, so for example, you could have weather information trigger the same ad to do different things. So maybe it's raining where you are, and maybe it's super sunny where I am. Your your hardware store ad, wherever it's rainy, might have rainy day products like tarpaulins or, or <laughs> trench coats. My ad, where I'm sunny, might ha- be featuring barbecues. Yeah. You can alter the creative of your ad. We, we currently offer this service to be cognizant of the weather is just one example. But the, the list of data inputs that can drive how you customize these ads is, is almost endless. Weather's a good example because I think everyone can relate to it and it shows how you can use data in a really effective way and not invade anyone's privacy. Right. I think the other thing is when you look at, and there's almost a resurgence of QR codes, and I'm a big fan of the QR code, actually. <laughs> I think that, that we'll probably become more sophisticated in the not too distant future. But for right now, it is a very effective way to merge the experience from the bigger screen to the smaller screen. Mm-hmm. It's one way for me because I don't necessarily, and I do think there is a segment of the population that does want to do this, but for me, I don't necessarily want to do my shopping on the TV, but I do want a shopping experience. I'm more than happy to do so on my mobile, and maybe maybe the TV can help with that experience or make it a little easier. And I think that's one of the value props of the QR code, and I think that's why we're seeing it being used a little more than, than it was for a while there. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm, my mind is racing with all the economic inputs and, and benefits to this approach for everyone involved, like from a consumer perspective, right? I'm getting theoretically more relevant, timely, relatable content for what's going on where I am. From an advertiser standpoint, I'm reaching people in a richer experience potentially at the right time with the right message customized more to them or at least somewhat personalized to them 
And then from the platform standpoint, like it's total yield management, right? Like if, if my response rates can increase um, or my effectiveness increases, therefore also the media costs can go up because it's more valuable to me. Oh, totally. Relevance is highly correlated with ultimate effectiveness. Now, obviously, every campaign has its own goals and KPIs and not every, not every objective is the same. But it is logical. And I, I've actually over the years been, been involved in a few biometric studies where we look at exactly this. And the more relevant an ad is to its audience, the better it works. And that should be obvious. But like with the traditional version of TV, it was really a spray and pray approach. Like you bought TV knowing you were going to be connecting with, well, connecting is maybe not even the right word. You were going to be presenting your message to people for whom it's not even relevant. Mm. With modern ad supported CTV, that's far less of a concern. You're able to, to sort of reach the appropriate audience with the appropriate message much more effectively than what, what media planners were used to in the past. Yeah. Well, you talked about at the outset, there's, you guys are an OEM as well as a, a CTV advertising solution. There's, I mean, if I think about it, realistically, there's probably only like five brands that I can think of, TV brands. That's a pretty finite universe. Like, is there any concern or, or should we even be worried about CTV becoming another walled garden? Or is that a falsehood to even think like that at this point? Yeah, you know, I, I've got a colleague that, ha, that has quite an interesting quip about this. So <laughs> he, he thinks of it less as a walled garden and more as a gated community. Um, and, you know, I'm, I, I live in West Palm Beach. I'm in Florida. So I'm, I'm used to the concept of, of gated communities and where some of these communities, rather than having a guard at the gate, they'll, they'll have a little keypad. You put it, if you've got the code, you put it in the keypad and you have free access. And I think what we're hitting, in, and, and, you know, I, I think there are pros and cons to that analogy, but I do think we're hitting a space where you can get the best of all worlds you, because the benefit of a walled garden is it's a safe area, it's privacy compliant, you control the environment. They're the benefits, but mm -hmm. you don't have, you, it doesn't have the same freedom as an open exchange, for example. And I think CTV has the promise to deliver the best of both worlds. And you, you alluded to this, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if you're dealing, if you're dealing with the us and one other OEM, you have half of the market. Right. If you deal with the top three, it's 80%. And if you go above that, you start getting almost everyone. So it's not like there's this arduous list of players to deal with. You only need to deal with a, a limited number of experts in this space. And you can reach almost everyone very effectively with the knowledge of ACR data, which is automatic content recognition, understanding the total picture, excuse the pun. ACR enables us to understand what a TV is watching, whether that is viewed on linear, whether that's streamed on LG channels or a different app. We can see the full picture. It includes even gaming. So understanding what that viewing behavior looks like, targeting against it, and then doing so with a couple of partners, I think is a pretty reasonable proposition. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'd never heard of ACR, so that's a new one for me. Yeah, um, think of it almost like Shazam for television. <laughs> I love right? that. Yeah. Where it's just the, there's a fingerprint. We can identify the content. We can do so with eye-watering accuracy. And it helps understand, okay, what has been viewed. And again, it's all fully opted in data. And it's something that really drives a lot of the media plans that we run. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a valuable, that's a valuable data source. So that's all amazing. 
It's amazing. So we've been talking about data and, we, and I've heard you say, you know, in a private privacy safe environment, what should we think about as it relates to brand safety on CTV? Oh, uh, you're asking this because I, I <laughs> because of where I used to work. Right? <laughs> I might be, I might be. Yeah, that's funny. So I, I think brand safety is, is critical. I think every modern marketer considers brand safety as a part of pretty much every media plan that they run. I think though that the really advanced marketers go like they really think beyond base level safety. And, and by the way, for us, we work with IAS and, and the other the other major players. And we can offer these services to our clients. But I think in, in terms of this, in the context of this conversation, if we think about what marketers should be thinking about, I think the best ones think about it as just controlling the context of their placements. Mm. So another way of saying that is whether it's within CTV environments or, or regular digital environments, or, or for that matter, non-digital ad placements, not every environment is equal. Some placements will work better for your specific brand than others, and some may just be simply inappropriate. And I think every marketer right now thinks about how they can control the context of their campaigns and the context of specific placements within their campaign. So it might be that you have a few creative executions. Creative execution A might be great for a few locations and not others. Creative execution B might be great for different locations. And I think modern marketers are thinking about it in a much more complex way than simply, is this a safe place for my brand or is it not? I think they're becoming more sophisticated. And within CTV, it's traditionally viewed as a pretty safe environment. I think, as I said, you know, we offer a lot of the extended services to ensure that, but you are dealing largely with premium content, professionally created and then there's, there's sort of limited parameters within that. It might be like, you know, content ratings, things like that, that they consider. But I think your best marketers are thinking about the complete tapestry of context where their ads appear and trying to control for that. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's cool. Well, what about as we think about, you know, we've talked about the power of this approach and, and connected TV in general, like what are the performance and optimization opportunities that we should be thinking about as it relates to CTV? Oh, I like this question. So <laughs> I think about it like this. There, it used to be not, not even that long ago, and some people might argue they still think this way, but it used to be that you would either as a marketer have to choose a path. I'm a performance marketer or I'm a brand marketer. Mm -hmm. It would very likely be guided by the brand and category that, that you're in. You know, for, for example, if you're talking CPG, traditionally very brand oriented in terms of their objectives. If you take someone, uh, a category like, say, finance, finance credit cards, it's really about, okay, conversions, do we get new signups, et cetera. So the objectives are driven by your category and your company. But what's really fascinating about Connect TV is it gives us an opportunity to do both. And I, I like to call this being a performance storyteller. And that, that means you've got the ability to have this brand impact that the screen affords you, that the attention that the screen gets affords you, but you also have the ability to track performance of the campaign against your given objectives. Whether they be performance objectives or branding objectives, you can track it for both. And I think that's the cool thing where we're starting to see a new breed of marketer that actually thinks about both of these elements, not just choosing a lane. And then I think, we started to talk about this, but I think another part of the story is just simply the sophistication of the creative units that are available within CTV. 
when you're trying to make a connection with your audience, you want to make that connection and not necessarily be interruptive to the experience. You want to enhance the experience like what we were, what we were referencing earlier. If you're, if you're a piece of content or a movie available for stream and you're highlighting that to someone who would be interested in it, that's not an annoying ad. That's something that's actually really useful for the consumer. And so I think not only can you be a performance storyteller, but you've got the ability to enhance the TV experience with advertising, which is not necessarily something that we think about when we think about TV advertising, but CTV give, affords us this opportunity. Yeah. No, I mean, it does It does give you a lot more levers to your point, whether it's the creative optimization or now that I think about it, I mean, like, I think it would be kind of a dream from a even a brand side, to like assuming I'm trying to move brand metrics, perception, and that's my KPI of choice to be able to do that in an environment where I can actually measure it. It's been a disaster in places I've worked in the past to try to tease that apart. But this definitely would be able to target and then likely develop a, a direct related metric or signal that I could collect on the back end. So yeah, absolutely. And it, and it's important to note that it can be it can be so custom to every campaign. So maybe you've launched right. a new product, then you're going to care about things like very top of funnel things like awareness. Is, do people know this thing exists if it's a new product launch? Do they understand the benefits? Whereas if you're a traditional brand, like think of some of the biggest soft drink companies on earth where mm. Basically, nothing you'll do will ever move the needle because everyone has heard of you. Right. right? Then, you're, then you're maybe on a branding campaign more interested in things like favorability. Did my campaign drive favorability towards my brand, even if they were already aware? And so it is important to custom build your measurement for what you're trying to achieve. But what you said is exactly right. We have the ability to do this now. We have the ability to optimize off it. And CTV is a really impactful medium. And the, the, the data is pretty clear on that. Yeah. Well, and I mean, historically, when you went to try to do these types of measurement techniques, it was all about like trying to match markets and you do it through the linear means and no market in the world. Like Denver is never like Austin. Like it just, it just isn't. Uh, Even though a lot of times I think they get matched together and then you're like trying to read tea leaves in terms of what, what really happened. <laughs> so anyway, that is super, super fascinating in terms of like one, what LG ad solutions is doing, but also just this evolution of TV in general, a lot of opportunity, a lot of opportunity. And to your, earth, your first point, I think out of the gate is this is like the biggest screen in the home, which is a, a screen in real estate that everyone needs to be thinking about. Absolutely. Well, one of the things we love to do on this show is also get to know you. We know you, you're glutton for punishment in your athletic pursuits. Um, but uh, my favorite question to ask everybody that comes on the show is, is what experience of your past defines or makes up who you are today? Wow. That's, a, <laughs> that's an existential question right there. Yeah. It, it, we roll out the couch for this question. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, we started to talk about it before. It's hard to not think about some of my some of my races. Like when you're when you're doing an Ironman, that distance, especially, and I, I'm not the most trim of people. I know this is an audio thing, not a video thing. You know, I'm I'm as good as two twenty pounds, and uh, it really puts you to the test psychologically, physically, and I think that's taught me a lot about just 
planning and then executing. Build yeah. a plan, do your best to stick to the plan, and then if it's not the right plan, change your plan. And for, for a race like that, it's not it's not as simple as putting in the miles. The, when it's that long, you're dealing with things of the nature of like, what's your nutrition? When are you going right. to take on nutrition? What is your nutrition of, of choice? When do you drink water? When do you drink electrolytes? There, there are many, many questions, and you need to build a pretty sophisticated plan. So when we talk about, you said, what in my past defines me? Mm-hmm. I think most people would agree that I, I have a pretty tenacious nature. I think <laughs> Ironman suits me because it is a, is somewhat a war of attrition. It is somewhat of a planning game. And I also, I, I've got to admit, I, I'm into efficiency in everything in my life. I, I, the way I use my time is really important to me. And that includes training for something like that. And I, I would actually do things like I would find really edge case research studies <laughs> to, to just figure out how I could train a little less to get a little bit more bang for my buck. Mm. And I would do things like that. So if you're looking for something that characterizes me, I think particularly iron distance races, they're challenging. And I think, they, you know, for anyone considering starting a pursuit like this, and, you know, maybe you start with a sprint, not an Ironman, it really does help you. You can take these lessons into your everyday life. And that's something I valued a lot. Yeah, that's it. I love that. What is it about, and I hate to group an entire population of people, but what is it about Australians? And like, I just feel like you guys are much more adventurous than the rest of the world. I don't know if that's true, but it feels... No like one knows, mate. No one knows. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like something's in the water down there or something. I don't know. Anyway, more, more to come on that maybe. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting this whole journey over again? Apple stock. well i I guess i alluded to it at last in in the last question but i i'm really vigilant about how purposeful i am with my time and so something i discovered in the last few years that i would probably share with my my much younger self is this have you have you heard of the eisenhower matrix no no it's super simple it's it's this two by two matrix where on on one axis you have important unimportant on the other axis, you have urgent, not time urgent. And essentially, I do this literally every day. I do it both both on a weekly basis and a daily basis. But literally every day, I look at the things that I know that I need to do, and I'll put them into one of those boxes. And so there are obvious ones. If it's both time urgent and important, sure, you're going to throw everything in the kitchen sink towards that. But I think there are a couple of traps that people commonly fall into. So there's one, one trap where it's urgent, but this thing is not important. Most people actually spend their time on that thing. So mm-hmm. just because something is given to you with time urgency doesn't necessarily mean it's worthy of your time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one other problem. And then possibly the bigger problem, and this is, this is why I do it, that, that matrix of important but not time urgent that is something that gets neglected. And, and so things like your own personal development, things like your, your company or your division strategy, there are things that are really important, but are unlikely to have any specific time urgency behind them. And so the way you can get on top of that is to schedule time for these things, to know that you need to, whether it's I'm going to carve out an hour a week on my own personal professional development, or whether it's we're going to carve out a day to think about the strategy and then a follow-up day, you need to proactively do it because it's unlikely to organically come up. And then there are, there are a range of other examples, but I've found that it tends to be big picture company thinking and personal development that get neglected mm-hmm. most easily. And this, this simple matrix, and it is really simple, 
can uh, certainly help me and I, I think can help a lot of people. Yeah, I think I'm going to redo my to-do list right now with, with, with this matrix. Because And what I'm visualizing is a two-by-two, two, upper right, super urgent, super important. You've got to do them, right? And then below the line on that important scale, assuming it's on the y-axis, are the things I should be questioning. Like those yeah. urgent, unimportant things. Like, should I, do I really have to do that? And then looking for those stars or those elements that aren't maybe urgent, but maybe are holding me back in other ways that I need to be working on and spending my time on. Yeah. And then it means when you offload some of these things that are just not going to move the needle, it frees up time for you to do more things that will move the needle and it just makes you more productive. It's it's a great approach. Exactly. Like a lot of folks that I coach today, I talk about how can you scale yourself, right? And the way to scale yourself sometimes are those things that you don't really want to do, but you need to do. Otherwise, you're never going to scale yourself. Like one simple one is you got to train somebody to do what it is that you do. So you're not the one having to do it. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, Everyone thinks that slows you down and it does in the short term, but in the long term, it frees you to do other things and scale your efforts beyond what you can do today. So anyway, one example I, I think about all the time. So yeah, I'm into that. I, but, uh, what, I, what, I, I'm curious if there's a topic you think marketers need to be learning more about or maybe something you're trying to learn more about yourself. I mean, storytelling. Every mm-hmm. marketing effort ever is essentially storytelling. It is a brand making a connection with a person. And I think especially modern marketers, as our discipline has become more complex, the art of storytelling is it's the key to it all it is the linchpin that holds it all together and so i think that is something maybe learning more about is maybe not exactly how i think about it but i think we we should be careful to not lose the art of storytelling yeah no i 100 percent agree with that well on a personal note are there brands companies causes that you follow or you think other people should take notice of yeah, I think like if I if I take your question and go with the cause avenue, mm-hmm. sure. I I think that there are a few universal massive topics like uh, and I'm talking climate change, food security, artificial intelligence. Like with climate change, I was really fascinated. Are you familiar with the X Prize? Yes, was, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, yep. Founded by by Peter Diamandis, super smart guy. I've been lucky enough to to see him present. I've, uh, I met him briefly, but the, essentially the the notion behind X Prize is offering up large sums of money to achieve a topic. So, for example, that they have a hundred million dollar X Prize to anyone who can build a gigaton level way of removing carbon from the atmosphere. Gigaton, right? <laughs> like this is this is. This is exponentially larger than any any sort of carbon sequestering that, that's happening right now, but there's 100 million on the line. And so they actually had more teams than had ever enrolled in any other X Prize when they announced this. And so I think when you're talking about what should people care about, I think that's one big clue. Like, what can we do about climate change? And I think it was Bill Gates said that, that carbon, what was the quote? Carbon... I might, I might not get this exactly right. He said words to the effect of carbon capture tech will create the next Microsoft, the next Google, and the next Amazon. And wow. that's, that's probably correct. Food security, I think. Have, have you heard of Aleph Farms? This is, um, I'm not even sure if you would classify them as a startup anymore. This is a company out of Israel. They essentially lab grow meat. So they're, rather than farming chicken, they can right. lab grow chicken breasts for costs to the consumer of $3.90 each. 
and they claim <laughs> that they have a 10x yield over traditional farming and they claim that it's 80% less greenhouse gas emissions. So when we talk about not everyone has, is lucky enough to live in a developed country, when we talk about food security and feeding the growing population, being able to deliver that in, in just innovative ways, different ways, I think is going to be really important. I think this is a seismic level thing that humanity needs to think about. Mm. Climate change, food security, and then what's a podcast if we're not going to talk about AI? <laughs> I mean, yeah. artificial intelligence, and it's, it's funny, I was talking to someone else about this earlier today. The funny thing about AI is it's, it's one of these things that falls into the category of it doesn't, it doesn't grow linearly. It's an exponential growth curve. Right. But as humans, we have a really tough time understanding things. Like we, we expect that in 10, 20 years, AI might be transformative, but like the level of advancement that we can expect in one year from today should provide us with orders of magnitude larger power than what we're observing now. We are well on the hockey stick in AI. And I, I like to use health as an example. There are a couple of examples. In fact, there was, there was this one study published by the University of California out of San Francisco. They created an AI model that could read these PET scans of patients. And, and the AI model predicted Alzheimer's disease with a 99% accuracy and it did so up to six years before a human clinical diagnosis would have occurred, right? Wow. So when you talk <laughs> about machine learning and AI, there are very, very tangible benefits. In Europe, the, the first autonomous AI radiologist has been approved. So there's a company called Chesslink. It reads chest x-rays without any human oversight at all. It, there are some things for which the machines are just simply better at what we do. And so I think... AI, I know it's scary for a lot of folks, and I think we have to admit that literally no one knows where this path takes us, and maybe it is a Darwinian error, but the prospects of the upside of AI are pretty compelling. No, I agree. I agree. It, it is at times hard to conceptualize, to your earlier point. It's hard for us to fathom. And I think it, as it relates to marketing, which is obviously where it like gets a lot of play lately in the trade press. I don't think we've cracked the nut yet, right? Like a lot of people are using it to make content or other types of production more efficient. Mm -hmm. And I almost feel like we're losing the plot there a little bit to your earlier point about storytelling. There's something innately human, like we as humans are good at certain things. Storytelling, I think would be one. And I think it's something about human to human understanding that creates that. But what we're really bad at is like the examples you just gave, which is like analyzing data or being able to think about and solve a problem or, or understand insights from all the data in the world. Like it would take us centuries to do that as humans, but as machines, we can do it in a couple of seconds if we've got the right machine. And so I, I almost feel like we're directed it in a, a little bit of the wrong direction right now, just because it's easy and it's, it's novel and, and Honestly, probably the tech providers are driving it in terms of like, it's easy to see what the potential could be because it's visual or it's written as it might be in chat form for others. But it, it's, it's totally going to be game changing at some point, as long as we figure out how to use it properly. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, and for the moment in time we're in, you can also have a bit of fun out of it. I don't know if you saw there was a, it went viral. There was an AI generated photo of the Pope being chased down by police. And, <laughs> yes. you know, people, people can create fun, creative things right now, but I think it's, it's power is, is really fully yet to be seen. 
No, I agree. agree. Well, that brings us to the last question I have for you. What do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd call it an opportunity and I would say it is exactly that, generative AI. I think basically we're on the precipice of a new era of human productivity. I view AI as a way to make us better and faster at doing things that just simply take us time. Mm-hmm. And it's the, you know some of these things we do well, some of these things we don't necessarily do well. But what we do know for sure is that, and I know ChatGPT consumes a lot of oxygen in the room, but there are, there are a number of generative AI options out there, especially for marketers. It enables you to get to your final state quicker. And right now, it doesn't replace anyone. And I'm not even sure that's the path we're on. Right. But it does enable us to be more efficient. And I think it enables us to be more productive. Whether that's churning out a piece of content marketing just much more quickly, whether that's copy editing your press release, whether it's just generating a, a new and novel piece of thought leadership for your blog, I think I think AI has a role to play. And in fact, I'm okay to be on record saying this. I've instructed my team to embrace it. I, I think you need to embrace it quickly, get used to working in this more highly productive way. And I think those who don't are going to be in real trouble. No, you definitely, I, I agree. I think you have to be using it. You have to be experimenting. You have to understand it, right? Like, because we actually don't know how it works, right? Like, like even the people that have invented it don't know how exactly how it works, which is kind of mind boggling to think too hard about that. But, but it, it does produce output based on the question or prompt that we give it in whatever form that takes. And so we definitely have to experiment and figure it out. So. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I can I can attempt to answer that. I mean, and I'm I'm not a <laughs> I, I'm not a, a data scientist by any means. But the thing the the thing that really stuck in my mind about trying to learn about AI. Are you familiar with Google's AlphaGo? This this program that plays the game Go. Vaguely, vaguely, well, I've heard about it. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, they and and they chose this game Go because and and I'm I'm yet to vet this, but. The soundbite is that there are more potential moves in the game of Go than there are atoms in the universe. I find that hard to believe, but I think there are a lot of moves. It's not like a game of chess. And so what they did is they, they gave it human training data. So that is to say they fed this machine learning model with a bunch of the best games that they could find out there and used that to train this machine to play. It did. It beat the best human in the world, the world champion. Um, and then it was like, hooray for the machine. But the thing that really captures my attention and I think illustrates how hard it is to explain, you know, how does, how does generative AI work? But the thing that captures my attention is sometime later, they created a new version of AlphaGo. It was called AlphaGo Zero. And this time, instead of using human training data, so games from humans being played, they just gave it the rules of the game and essentially forced it to just figure it out. And so <laughs> with AlphaGo Zero, there was no human game input. It simply had to just keep playing against itself until it understood the purpose of the game, until it understood how to win, until it understood strategies. And I believe, it, I can't remember if I, I, I may be wrong. I want to say that by its 300th game, it became better than any human. And what they ended up doing was they played the original AlphaGo against AlphaGo Zero. Remember the original <laughs> one beat the best human on earth. Right. AlphaGo Zero beat it a hundred to zip. And oh so my gosh. when we when we and again, this doesn't specifically explain it, but I think it helps certainly helps me understand, okay, 
this thing is very powerful. And if we if we just let it go down its own path for certain tasks, it will likely arrive at a place that is more efficient than we can even comprehend. I love that example. I really love that example for many, many reasons. But the the fact that like the first one, the first generation was trained on humans, just the no- notion of like, we all as humans have cognitive biases, we have tendencies, etc. that has to show up in a gameplay. And it, it's surprising, but also like woefully um, demoralizing <laughs> to maybe as a human that uh, after 300 games, it could beat us, you know? <laughs> like, uh, so so where, where's the 10,000 hours alphas go zero to be, to be a master? Uh, so anyway, so I love that example. It's great. It's a great example. Well, Tony, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. This has been a fantastic, interesting and I've learned a ton of ton of new nuggets, not only about CTV, but a lot of other things. So thank you. Yeah, Alan, thanks for having me on. It's always uh, it's always a pleasure to connect. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today. And you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.